the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. How many have heard that verse before? Okay, half the people and the other half are sleeping, so. I don't know, with your hand, you guys just don't get your hand up much. Do you? We're doing pre-Christmas. You ever did pre We're trying to stay up with Walmart, try to get a little earlier, see if we can get it in. A um, couple weeks of looking at two Isaiah passages that we use. These are on Christmas cards. Uh, we use these quite a bit. This one is one I'm sure you've heard of, and we know it very well, but we really don't completely understand its meaning, essentially the way it starts. The Lord himself will give you a sign. It's an interesting way to start a sentence, isn't it? You know why it's interesting? Because there's 13 verses before this in chapter 7. There's a saying that uh, we use, and it actually comes from Greg Kokel at Stand to Reason, is never read a Bible verse. And the idea is never read just one, because you can really get messed up if you read just one. So we're not going to read just one. We're going to read actually the 13 before this. Um, and even a little precursor to this in Isaiah, so a little history um, Old Testament history. One thing when you look at the New Testament, what can happen to us as we study it is we don't realize how important knowing the old is to understanding the new. Um, the New Testament was written in Greek, but it's still a Hebrew book. It's got Hebrew thought. Um, Jesus was the consummate Jew. Uh, this is where, where God decided to bring salvation through was through the Jews. Um, so Knowing this helps us uh, quite a bit. In, in Isaiah 6, we get that great throne room commissioning, you know, where he, the year King Uzziah died, I saw the king, the Lord, sitting on his throne, and you get the seraphim, and it's just a really cool thing. And, it, and one of the things you see in that, in that chapter very quickly is Isaiah has no trouble with humility. <laughs> he hits the ground. In fact, it, he's on his belly. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live before uh, with a people of unclean lips. So he understands this stuff, and this is coming right off. He gets his commissioning, and it ends with the Lord revealing to Isaiah that only a few, what, what's known as the remnant, uh, will listen to him. So we always think it'd be so cool to be a prophet. You know, God tells you to go tell people to repent and all these wonderful things. But Isaiah is told most people aren't going to listen to you. It's kind of like a pastor, right? In some ways, yeah, sometimes. The remnant. Uh, God's people will be judged for their unfaithfulness to him. And Assyria was knocking at their door. Assyria was the, the big one on the block. Assyria was a huge kingdom, had been overcoming lots of kingdoms. So chapter 7 begins with, with this concern, is God judging now? And we, we pinpoint this around 733 B.C. Assyria is there. There's other nations. We're going to read about that. The king's upset. Isaiah's in the court. Isaiah says eventually they're going to be judged if they don't become more faithful and repent. So it's the time now, which brings us to verse 1 of chapter 7. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramiah, and king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. This is, the, this is wartime. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim. Ephraim is a poetic way for the northern tribes. Israel, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz 
you and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. You all know where this is. It's just up by Chiron, right? You know, this was the way it would be for them. It's like, well, yeah, the washer's field, you go up there. And, you know, but it you know, doesn't really mean a lot to us, I realize. But, uh, and, they s- and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin and within 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. So Isaiah comes and tells him in poetic form to some extent, don't worry about these guys. Don't, don't try to go in league with somebody else. You know, this is going to turn out okay. And you get a bit of a prophecy. Now remember, prophecy, we tend to think of that today as a prophet is the one who tells you something in the future. That's about 2% of what prophets do. You know what prophets mainly do? We're going to get at the very end of the sermon when the last prophet comes and says, repent. That's what prophets do. You guys need to change what you're thinking, how you're acting, and who you're serving. Repent. Uh, And a lot of times, all the future stuff is, this is going to happen if you don't. And this is what's happening here. You know, you guys, I'm going to take care of you for a while, but repentance is still implied here. And if you take the 65 years and me being a math geek, you kind of do that. You take this, it's kind of known in the Bible in the Old Testament times that it takes about a generation for a people to be completely uh, obliterated as to their values. You know, we probably hear that in our own day and age. You know, we're one generation away from America becoming a secular place you know well, it's true and then they're one generation away well you take the generation of about 40 years you have the 25 you end up getting right around the time when Assyria came in and wiped out the northern tribes that was 722 BC and they know the northern tribes the 10 tribes that 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 uh, uh, came after Solomon so they're worried and it, we're only 10 years out here that that's going to happen and they're they're really concerned here but he says, Judah should stay faithful in Yahweh by heeding his word and trusting him, and they will, he will protect them. That's really the key here. There's protection here if you just listen. Now, we have this in the Old Testament. We don't necessarily have it in the New because the church is not the same as Israel. Israel is a people. It was a theocracy. It was a, a nation. It had, a, it had an army. In, in the New Testament, you've got the church, which is made up of the worshiping people that follow Christ, and then you've got the state that's put there to punish evil and reward good. So there are kind of two different things going on there, and hopefully they're supposed to work together. But back here, they kind of were all the same. So part of the protection of, of Yahweh was also physical. Now, that can happen in nations, but that's not what the church is about. The church is about getting people to be protected from evil. We even pray that in that one prayer, right? Deliver us from evil. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we're talking about here. So here, it, it's kind of both. But you get to verses 10 and 11. And these are key. This will start helping you understand why verse 14, which we put on Christmas cards all the time, right? The Lord himself will give you a sign. It's almost like he came into the middle of a conversation, right? 
if I started a conversation that way, well, I'll, I'll give you a sign. He's like, well, I didn't know I was asking for one. You know, well, what happens here? Well, again, the Lord, and if in your text it may have capital L-O-R-D, which is Yahweh. So Yahweh spoke to Ahaz, who's the king. Ask a sign of Yahweh your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. So what is Yahweh asking? Ahaz, ask me to give you a sign. Wouldn't this be cool? If there was something in your future that you were wondering about, you know, good or bad, and you're trying to figure out, well, should I do A or B or C or Q or whatever? And God said, just ask and I'll give you a sign. What would you do? Yeah, I'd g- I'll give, give me a sign. Have the Bears win the Super Bowl. Now, that would be supernatural. <laughs> or whatever. You know, give me a sign. This is what he's saying. Just ask, you know, it could be as high as the heaven and deep as Sheol, which is the Old Testament word for the place of the dead. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put Yahweh to the test. Huh. Well, you wonder what he was doing. He refuses. He refuses to, to ask for the very sign that, and he can ask anything he wants. It's kind of like those movies where, you know, you, you rub the little lamp and then out comes the genie. And it can say, the genie says, I'll give you, in this case, one wish, um, which is I know you're supposed to get two more. But. And you say, no, nah, I don't want a wish. What word would you use for that? Would you use humble? I got another shirt coming, and I'll just stand like this, and it'll have an arrow. I'm with, no, I'm just kidding. That's pretty stupid, isn't it? <laughs> pretty silly not to, and this isn't a genie, this is God. And it seems like Ahaz knows that. Now, I don't know if he's going back to Deuteronomy 6, where it says, you shall not put Yahweh your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. And actually, you know who uses this in the New Testament, this little verse? Jesus uses this during the temptation. Turn these stones into bread. You shall not test the Lord your God. Same verse, you know. Um, so maybe he's thinking that. Maybe he really thinks he's humble. Um, Back to our definition of humility. Humility before whom? You know, before God. And you think about even signs. Signs are not, are we supposed to go out and say, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this or this. Lord, just give me a sign. We've done that. Have you anybody else done that? Um, are we supposed to do that? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Back in Luke, we have, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign but no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. Sign giving, yeah, be careful with that because we, we misinterpret these all the time. It's like open doors. I've heard people, well, God will open the door, and then I get to the door, and it's open, and I'm like, I wonder who opened that door. Did I leave it open? <laughs> the older I get, the more that happens. <laughs> or did, did Satan open the door? That's hard, isn't it? Because we had that in... 2 Corinthians, that Satan can appear to the angel of light. Oh, this is a good door. It's just an apple, right? You've got to be so careful. Didn't Eve have an open door to eat the apple? Was it a sign? <laughs> you know, it's just be very careful with these because we, we interpret these wrong. I mean, I think I've given this example before, but it's such a good one. A lady who's living in Des Moines. Uh, has a job offering to, to go up in the, in the company in Des Moines, but has a maybe much better one in, in, in Wisconsin, which is hard to believe, I know, but in Wisconsin. And she's praying, you know, Lord, help me know what to do. And she's driving down 
the road on 235 there in Des Moines, and up on the big billboard they just put up, got milk. Where do you get milk from? Well, cows, and where are most of the cows from? Wisconsin. So she took that as an open door to go to Wisconsin. See how we just, you know, I don't know what her psyche was, you know. I think if God, this is much different, isn't it? He's going to give him a sign that there's no way of knowing one way, and we're going to get the sign eventually. But just be careful with signs and open doors. I mean, God can open a door. Certainly he can, but just be careful with that. Because a lot of the choices we make are what we call non-moral choices, right? You know, which college to go to, which job to take. You know, all these different, and it's not really like evil to go to one of them, but it's hard, you know, just be, usually wisdom is a good, ask somebody smarter than you, which for most of us doesn't take long to find somebody like that, and that will help. But think about that. He gets, he, Yahweh, the holy God, asks him to ask for a sign, anything he wants, and he says, no, I'm not doing it. Well, it's not testing God to do what he says. This is kind of a one-off. It's probably the only time you ever got this. If God clearly tells you to ask him for a sign, then ask. If that does happen to you, my advice is ask, okay? This is not ambiguous. This is not trying to interpret it. It's, it's given to him directly. In verse 13, and he said, and he there is Isaiah, God through Isaiah, Here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? So that's God's reply. I told you to ask for a sign. It wasn't ambiguous. This was not hard. And you screwed that up too. He's just wearied. House of David. One from the house of David should know better. Because we have the Davidic covenant out there by now. That came way back in Samuel. Rescue was providence through David's line. This was supposed to be something he wanted to use. And that brings us to verse 14. So this was the pre-sermon. Fortunately for you, the rest of the sermon isn't any longer than the pre-sermon, so we'll, you'll still get, we'll still get to Belisera on time if you're going. And this verse shouldn't be taken out of context. And we know the verse, but we're yet, therefore, and you've got to be careful with therefore. I remember listening to a Bible teacher that said, if you ever look in the Bible and you see the word therefore, you should always stop to see what it's there for. Because it's a summation, Right? If you start in the Bible, it's like your daily reading is Isaiah 7, 14 through 17. You, and it says, therefore, you might want to go back a little bit to see what they're surmising there. So, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Oh, okay, well, all this makes sense. The Lord asked Ahaz to ask for a sign. He won't do it. Well, I'll give you one myself. You won't ask? I'll give you one. And what is it going to be? Behold. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So that's the sign. A virgin is going to conceive and have a son. Now who's this sign to? Israel. In the 8th century, right? I mean, isn't that pretty clear? I mean, this isn't going to do them any good. If I said, you know, you know, you're having a tough time figuring out your decision, the Lord's going to give you a sign. Now, it won't come true for 730 years. I'm looking around. I think we're all going to be gone by then. Right? So it has a first century fulfillment. We miss this. And, well, what is that first? The child's name is a pointer. What does Emmanuel mean? Well, God with us. That's what I've got the Hebrew up there. You've got Iman, which means with us, and El, which is the short 
for God in Hebrew. Emmanuel, that's where it comes. You get the Greek up there too. Sometimes we spell it with an I and sometimes we spell it with an E. I don't really care how you spell it. Um, it's pronounced the same way. But what is it? God with us. We know that. So what's the sign about? The sign is to show that God is with us. Well, how does this show that God is with us? Well, this is what God desired to show Ahaz and the people. Any sign he chose. He, he wanted to show, this is the whole thing. Ask me for a sign, I'll show you I'm with you. Emmanuel. Now, it didn't appear to me that Ahaz really cared what God's plan was. So what, what does this mean? There's going to be a young woman giving birth to a son that's going to symbolize that God desired to protect Judah without the help of the kingdoms listed in verse 1, or Assyria. And so that's really what this 8th century B.C. sign is. This is the sign that we're talking about. It had to mean something to the original people. Again, if it didn't, why give them a sign? Again, if God gave us a sign for our lives that wasn't going to happen for 8 centuries, it probably wouldn't be that helpful for you, would it? So it has to have a eighth century fulfillment. God's presence and rule is the main purpose of the Davidic covenant. That's what he's trying to get across. So what happens in 733 BC? Well, the sign was supernatural. God gave it. That's supernatural, right? Its revealing was natural. Well, what happened? A young lady, and we read on if you read in chapter 7, it's a little bit in chapter 8. A young lady who's a virgin at the time of the prophecy was married then became married, then conceived naturally through relations with her husband and had the child that was predicted. And why is that a sign? Well, you kind of have to know how warfare works. It's probably true today. I'm, most of us, or some of us, I, don't, I wasn't born when we had the big world wars. But during war is not a good time to start a family. And this is definitely true back in the ancient times. You see this, one of the things, one of the metaphors for making a life in a particular place is to start family. You even see this in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 29, they're told to start families because you're going to be there a while. You're going to be in exile for 70 years. Start having some kids. I'll protect you in Babylon. Here, I'm protecting you here. You can have a kid. You're not going to get sieged. And they know this. They would have known this. It's a little hard for us because we don't see it that way. A, is, you know, we're, we're not 2,700 years ago. And, and B, we don't live in the Middle East and all the things that, that happened there in an ancient time when war was different. What's the, it comes down that they're safe enough to have children without the threat of a foreign siege. Go ahead and start families. I will protect you. This is what the sign is. Now, sadly, Ahaz and his successors didn't rely on God for protection. That was the whole idea. That was the whole idea of the whole idea of getting Israel even started was that God was going to protect them. You're my people. But they didn't rely on it. They turned eventually to Assyria, who had just conquered later, just conquered the northern tribes, so the southern tribes get in league with Syria and become a vassal state to them for years. And this unbelief eventually dooms the Davidic dynasty. They lose sovereignty. And eventually, as we just said, Jeremiah comes along and says, it's over. Quit fighting. You're going to lose. And they didn't listen, and they, the temple gets wiped out, and Daniel gets exiled with his friends, Ezekiel gets exiled, and eventually all get exiled. That's what eventually happens. But the rest of Isaiah, after this, and we'll get a little bit of that next week in chapter 9, another verse that gets on Christmas cards, which is good. I, I don't 
Don't take this off your Christmas card. Just understand what it means. The rest of Isaiah reveals that God will restore the throne of David through a future king from the line of David. You get some really cool stuff. And this sets the stage for the final fulfillment of this sign. And we get this in Matthew 1. Joseph has a relationship with a young woman named Mary, if you don't remember that. They're betrothed. But she is found to be with child. Hmm. What do you do? Well, he thought, you know, she's kind of a nice girl. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, but I'll just put her away quietly. And he had a dream. You know, do not be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife because the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, Mary had already got that information from Gabriel which is recorded in Luke. And all this took place to fulfill, and that's your word there. You know, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the old covenant. I came to fulfill it. This is one of the ways he does that. He fulfills it. So, oh, so apparently the sign to, that a woman, a young lady is going to have kids, and we can have more kids because Assyria is not going to beat us up right now. That wasn't the main sign. There's another sign. In, in the Bible, sometimes you get two fulfillments. And every one of the second, the, the second fulfillment is always about Jesus. And this is one of them. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So now the, the author of Matthew, who we think pretty much is Matthew, right? Hence the name. Through the Holy Spirit is saying that no, that's not just a, there's not just an eighth-century fulfillment of the Emmanuel sign. It is a pointer to something much greater, God's ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. So this is pretty cool, isn't it? So yes, it did mean something back then, God's protection. Now it means something even more, God's protection, but at a deeper level. And we see this in the Nativity uh, texts. So Matthew reveals that the 733 B.C. sign was a shadow of what was to become the ultimate sign. And it's even different, isn't it? Because back then, they said a supernatural revelation came, but it was a natural way. And that's the way it usually worked, right? We had that earlier. We'll, we'll have that, uh, is that the first, right after th the Thanksgiving Sunday, we'll do the Zechariah and Gabriel thing. Well, after Gabriel told Zechariah to have that they were going to have a kid, did they just kind of wait for the stork? No. It was similar to the 8th century B.C. fulfillment. They did what you do to have a kid. Not so here. Another virgin is going to be selected to have a child around 1 to 3 B.C., but this will be a supernatural revelation and a supernatural birth. As far as I know, this is the only time this ever happened. Where somebody got pregnant this way. Kind of cool, isn't it? Very unique. And we'll talk about that when we go through the angels. So that's the difference. It's not just a natural birth. This is found to be with child through the power of the Spirit. Now, if you go back to the old, so how can we understand this sign when Jesus comes? Well, you've got to understand what was going on in the original fulfillment. Ahaz and many others rejected the sign. They didn't take God's protection. And it was removed. They're no longer part of God's kingdom because he was not the ruler of their lives. 
But Isaiah and the remnant of faithful followers of Yahweh look forward to yet a future time, a future Messiah, a future king to righteously reign over them. That's mostly what Isaiah is about. So what happens now if we ignore this sign? This is a sign for first century people. It's also a sign for you. What happens if we ignore this sign of this supernatural revelation and supernatural birth? If we reject the one that the sign points to, similar to what Ahaz did to the sign he was given, we won't get God's spiritual protection from evil and sin and we'll be eternally removed and not part of God's eternal kingdom. See why it's more and better? In the past, it was just kind of a physical thing where they would protect them from armies. This is protected from evil, protecting from sin, washing that away. This is the main thing. This is eternal life stuff. So we get the, Joseph gets this dream, and it's, it's a sign for us, isn't it? That the promise of God to reign through Messiah forever was being fulfilled in this supernaturally conceived child. So we go to the mat for this. It's in the creeds. We sing about it. You know, we have that I believe song, you know, I, I believe in the virgin birth. Why? Because if it didn't happen that way, then we can't rely on this sign. It's one we go to the mat for, as they say. It's very important to believe that because that's the way God wanted it. So you think about this. This is about God's reign. In the Old Covenant, it was a theocracy, and you could see it, and he would protect them. And when they didn't follow him, and they got the bad kings and the bad followers, and most of the remnant was very small, he allowed and even used other kingdoms to come in and wipe them out as a punishment for not following him. Now it's different, isn't it? It's different in a sense. It's the main thing. It's the idea that God's supposed to be the ruler of our lives. And interestingly enough, the last prophet, the last great prophet, the prophet that gives us everything we need comes on the scene, very first words out of his mouth in Mark, the time is fulfilled. He's saying, I'm the one that's going to fulfill all these prophecies, all these promises that this, I'm here now. I'm going to do it. The kingdom of God is at hand. Isn't that cool? It's, that's what it's all about, folks. Are you part of the kingdom? Or are you not? It all depends on what king you follow, right? The kingdom of man or the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, if you don't follow me, you're not really following the kingdom of God. So what do I do to get in? Repent and believe in the good news. This is a really good verse, isn't it? And this is where he starts. I have come to fulfill all these things. Isaiah 7, 14 is just one of them. We're going to get another one in Isaiah 9. There's hundreds of prophecies that Jesus as Messiah fulfills. The kingdom of God, that's what it's about. Sometimes we don't think of it that way, do we? Do you walk around thinking of yourself as part of God's kingdom? You know, Paul puts it best, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, I voted. I hope you did, too. It took like 25 seconds, but I did vote the other day because I'm also a citizen of Denison. Uh, citizen of Iowa, I think, of America. That's important. I'm not saying that, but our, our true citizenship is in heaven. That's the king we ultimately follow. Everything else is subservient to that. But you have to repent. Jesus starts with that. That's what prophets do. Why did Jesus send these prophets? Why did God send these prophets in the Old Testament? Was it just to annoy people? I'm sure it did. They didn't throw Jeremiah into a 
deep well because he was fluffy and his uh, speeches were fun to listen to. Uh, nobody likes to hear this, right? But Jesus comes out, repent and believe, repent and believe because the kingdom is heaven is upon you. And then kind of back to that disciples' prayer, sometimes called the Lord's Prayer. We start out that way. If you pray this prayer, that's what you start off with, isn't it? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that what it's all about? So as we kind of work in our way to Christmas here, we're going to look at one more next week about how God always had this plan that someone from the line of David was going to come. And we'll look at some of those texts. We'll get to see some really fun angel stuff, which is always neat. But the Lord himself gave Ahaz a sign. But ultimately, the sign you need to worry about is the sign of the one who came supernaturally born of a virgin to save us from our sins, to bring us into the kingdom of God and protect us from evil. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for uh, Isaiah being faithful remnant of bringing this prophecy to us. I wonder if he understood what it ultimately meant. We should, we know we should from your word. May each one of us always put your name up as holy. May we praise you. May your kingdom come in our lives as you want, uh, changing our hearts to have you at the center of it. Thank you for giving us what we need, for protecting us from evil, for forgiving us our sins when we repent and are humble before you. We know it's your kingdom and your power and your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name.